everyone, and welcome back to the Advara in Conversation with podcast. Today, we're going to be touching on the very important and timely topic of workforce challenges in the clinical research industry. I'm Wendy Tate, Director of Advanced Analytics and Research Optimization at Advara, and I'm joined by David Volcano. David, thanks for joining us today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Hey, thanks for having me, Wendy. I appreciate it. So I'm David Volcano. My day job or my Clark Kent job, so to speak, is as the vice president of clinical research, compliance and integrity for HCA Healthcare. But at night or evenings and whatnot, I get to take off my Clark Kent glasses, put on my Superman cape, so to speak, and be the honorary president for the Society of Clinical Research Sites. So SCRS is the Trade Association for Clinical Research Sites, they have about 9,500 sites across 47 different countries, and that's what a lot of the topics of conversation today will have come up from what the sites are experiencing around the globe. We got to touch base briefly, actually, at the SRS Oncology Conference that just happened a couple of weeks ago, and workplace and workforce management was definitely a hot topic there. So why don't you start there and kind of give us an overall feeling of the impact of the great resignation, the great reshuffle. You know, there's been a lot of turnover at the site side, especially at the patient or subject facing position of clinical research coordinators. You know, probably about seven or eight months or so ago, this kind of started and the trend just seems to be escalating. So a lot of the SCRS member sites and even non-member sites are talking about that the CRC turnover is two to three times what it used to be. And a lot of that is just your overall stuff of the great resignation. You just want to exit the workforce or, hey, I have better work at home from options, which work from home as a research coordinator is kind of difficult. So there's been, you call it great resignation, great reshuffling. Some people have called it the great poaching because a lot of the research coordinators are getting recruited by the CROs and the sponsors to be monitors. But hospital systems are doing the same thing. And my hospital system that I work with is no different. You know, we have NICU nurses, emergency room nurses, ICU nurses that are exiting the workforce for other options or or exiting that role. And many research professionals are nurses. So they're getting lured by large sign-on bonuses, double the salary, work from home, refer a friend bonus, and things like that. And a lot of site managers are complaining that They're not even giving two weeks notice anymore. A lot of these folks, it's, hey, it's a $10,000 startup bonus if you start tomorrow. So, you know, instead of giving two weeks to try to transition, it's a phone call of, hey, I'm not coming in tomorrow. So, yeah, it's been a significant challenge for sites that we're trying to work together with our sponsor, CRO, and, and other solution provider colleagues to figure out how can we get through this time. Yeah, and I can imagine with those types of challenges, it's greatly impacting the clinical trial itself, which then, of course, impacts sponsors and CROs. So what are some of the short-term solutions that you guys are trying and working on or you're seeing in the industry, either coming from sites, coming from sponsors or CROs to maintain continuity in the clinical research? I mean, we have data integrity to worry about. We obviously have participant safety at top of mind. So how are we dealing with this in the short term? Right, right. Well, at SCRS, we heard a lot of the voice of the sites coming through this, and we decided that two deliverables were due. The first was an open letter to our sponsor and CRO colleagues just saying, hey, this is what happens when we lose a coordinator. And yeah, we don't want to shackle our coordinators to their desks. You know, we endorse them getting a career path. And to the extent we don't have career paths for them, we need to respect that they want a career path on that. So, you know, we're not trying to have draconian efforts of 
non-solicitations, non-competes, things along those lines, although those things are often discussed. But it does have that impact on study continuity. And so part of the open letter to our sponsor and CRO colleagues wasn't necessarily finger wagging, but it was more along the lines of here's what happens at the site level when we lose a coordinator and they're recruited away to be a monitor or just lose a coordinator in general. So, yeah, I mean, the first thing that is on the site's radar is, oh, my gosh, what visits do we have coming up that we need to backfill? If it's a small site, they may only have one or two coordinators and they just don't have the staff to backfill those visits. The issue is we have safety visits coming on, no staff to do them. The ethical thing is to drop those subjects from the protocol. So we've lost that set of subjects. Another thing that's tough to quantify is the retention. Many coordinators have a real bond with the subjects because they spend so much time and so much energy and emotion with the trial, with that coordinator, they really make a connection to the subjects. And when the one coordinator leaves, that subject is somewhat demotivated to continue in the study, or not to say that they're all going to quit, but there is a factor in that of, you know, gee, I really like that coordinator. I mean, I have coordinators that tell me that if they go on vacation during one of their subject visits, the subject doesn't want to come and do the visit with the other coordinator. They just say, well, I'll just wait till you're back from vacation. So when they leave all together, that's another thing. Another aspect is that sites have to look at their study portfolios that they have now and say, hey, can we afford to have, can we even staff eight, 10 studies open? Can we staff two or three studies open? Maybe we should close down some of these studies. What studies are not recruiting well? What studies are we having real friction or trouble with the sponsor or CRO on? What studies have had so much scope change or what studies aren't paying us on time, you know, those types of things of, well, we'll just close out those studies. Other resources for startup, you know, less coordinators, you have less time to recruit, less time for startup and less time for quality. Then you bring in a new coordinator and these are typically people that don't have experience. Coordinator is oftentimes an entry-level position into this. So we don't have the luxury of saying, we want two years experience. So most coordinators are people that are new to the industry and we train and it takes six to 12 months from what most experienced site managers say to get that coordinator fully up to speed so that they're equivalent to the coordinator that they replaced. So that's some of the impact in our open letter to sponsors and CROs. And the ask was to hear us out on this and let's work together for this. We respect that Sponsors, CROs, IRBs, solution providers, all these folks are going through the same macroeconomic issues. We respect that, but we can't keep robbing from each other. This is not working. So what other types of things can we do together? We don't think we can pull out of this on our own. Other short-term things where we as a site industry do have an obligation to do the best we can, even without our sponsor and CRO colleagues helping us with additional funds or resources or whatnot, was in a toolkit that we put out to our member sites. So many of our sites, large site networks, generously shared a lot of their best practices in this area. A couple of those practices were, one started holding stay interviews. So rather than waiting for an exit interview when they've already quit, sit down with that coordinator and say, hey, we're not talking about our KPIs, our deliverables, our goals or whatnot. All we wanna talk about right now is why are you here and why are you staying and what would make you want to leave? And that's been interesting. And they've learned a lot about 
having this new dialogue with their staff. They've learned a lot about them. One example came up of the mother that said, hey, I need to leave here by 2.45 every day because if I don't pick up my child from the preschool at exactly three o'clock, it's like $5 a minute that I'm late. And, you know, subjects are always late, extra paperwork, monitor calls on the phone and whatnot. That's always a problem. So it was, hey, wait, why don't we just get a service that you trust and whatnot to be there to pick up your kid and, and work that so you'd alleviate this. And, and the employee was like, oh, my God, that'd be fantastic. So these types of creative solutions to understand why would somebody want to leave. So those are some short term things that some sites are doing until we can kind of get to some stability in this. Yeah, there's a lot there. I heard contingency planning, which we've all learned in the last couple of years that you can't plan enough for, you know, contingencies, (laughs) emergency situations, portfolio management, which I definitely want to get back to here in just a second. I heard training in there, but also then some maybe non-traditional human resources. And so, so many different things that our programs are having to think about. And when I think about a lot of people who are clinical research managers or directors of offices or departments, not necessarily trained in. So, you know, all of a sudden they're coming up with these skill sets that, oh, by the way, we know you were a great coordinator. We promoted you up to manager. Maybe now you're a director. Oh, by the way, here's all of this basically project and people management that now you get to pick up off the cuff. So some really interesting stuff coming out of that. But I want to get back to the portfolio management perspective. You were talking about open studies, visits, closeouts. But one of the things I heard at the conference that was really interesting from the sites is also thinking about future pipeline and that the lack of coordinators isn't just affecting studies that are open. It's affecting the studies that might become open, the study activation pipeline. And one of the quote unquote easier places, or maybe we're kicking the can down the road to hold is to not open protocols to help with this shortage. Why don't you talk about that a little bit and what sites are doing to help think about the pipeline, not just today, but six months, nine months, 12 months from now. Yeah. And it's a great point, Wendy, because the challenge of just maintaining the existing safety visits and study portfolio and whatnot is key. And like I said, many sites are looking at which ones can I close because it's too much of a drag or I just can't maintain the quality that I want to have because even if I have a new coordinator, they're still new. They may not be able to handle complex studies. I have to have other people supervise them, et cetera, et cetera. But the new studies is a key. Now, an interesting thing was in our survey that we had done with sites to gather some data around this. And it was asked to the sites, what can the sponsors and CROs help? with this. Of course, the number one, everything else was, we need budget increases. The payrolls for these folks to retain them, to compete with the CRO salaries and the hospital salaries has gone up an average of 30 to 50% year over year for many of these sites. And they didn't have the kind of margins in existing budgets to do that. That plus all the inflationary pressures, which, you know, is a completely different topic than the workforce challenges. But in that scenario, the second most common ask was, we need to make sure our pipeline is still coming forth. And I've talked to many sites and I said, why don't you talk to the sponsors and CROs? Oh my God, no, no, no. I I can't tell them the problems that we're having with with this because then they're going to shut us down or they're going to shut the study down or or they're not going to give us the next study. And we need to get past that. And I've encouraged many sites to say, listen, we're in this together. We really truly are in this together. The sponsors and the CROs have just as much vested interest in study continuity 
as you do. If they don't get the drugs approved, the CROs can't get the study started and going, that's a burden on them too. So this is a problem. We all are sharing this problem and we can come together into solutions, but it starts with an honest discussion and an open discussion. And I've even talked with sponsors and CROs and encouraged them, call your sites and talk to them about this issue. Not the other KPIs and all the other kind of stuff make a special point to call the sites on this. I've even told sponsors, hey, if you're using a CRO, you call the site directly and bypass the CRO to see if there's a dialogue that you can have that's unfiltered from the CRO that's coming in so that we can kind of share this because otherwise all the medical progress is going to slow down. We did so many great things and did it so quickly and fast during the pandemic for COVID related stuff. But this is concerning to a lot of sites because they don't feel that they're can adequately do the studies that they have, much less expeditiously start and plan out future studies. Yeah, I love that communication. I've talked to several sponsors and CROs that we're collaborating with as well. And that's a top question for them is, is how can we help our sites? Like we need our sites for so many reasons. We want them to be successful. We want them to be resourced. And so I love that you brought that up from the site perspective too. Yes, talk to sponsors and CROs. CRO sponsors talk to sites, have that dialogue because we are all in it together. And there are a lot of ways that can be helped, but if you don't have communication and transparency, you can't solve the problem because you don't know what that is. You're just kind of shooting in the dark and guessing at it. And so taking a look into that, how do we do more long-term planning? How do we move this from a short-term problem to have a long-term solution? Thanks for bringing that up. It is an important point. I mean, we at SCRS had done a survey to get some data around this. And, and a couple of the questions, well, one of the key questions on that survey was, what can sponsors and CROs do? Of course, the number one answer was, hey, we need some study funds. We need to change our existing budgets because salaries have gone up 30 to 50% for our coordinators. There's no margins in existing budgets for that. So we have to have an honest discussion about that because of the salaries and the inflationary pressures. Rent in some places is doubling in areas. But the second most requested thing was the study continuity. And the please don't shut down the pipeline of new studies. We may not be ready for them yet, but please don't shut that down. I talked to many sites and many of them are actually scared to bring this up to their sponsors and CROs because they're scared that they're going to shut down the studies or not give them new studies. And, you know, we are in this together in this concept. We're all facing similar macroeconomic issues, assuring or reassuring the site that we're not going to shut down new studies for you. We realize that this is an issue that we have to solve and work together to get past, create some study continuity plan for existing studies, but then also get assured that there's continuity of new studies flowing to those sites because they are, they are scared that they'll you know, be prejudiced against if they bring this up. So we've encouraged sites to bring it up to the sponsor CROs and encourage CROs and sponsors to call the sites directly on this issue. How is workforce affecting our studies? Is it more money? Is it temporary staff? Can we alleviate something from you? Is there a burden that we've put on you that we can alleviate so that you can focus more on recruitment and retention of subjects or getting workforce up to speed a lot quicker? One thing I think that this might also be helpful from sponsors and CROs is they do a lot of training. They have access to training that they can provide new staff or other things. So if sites are having issues, having that conversation to say, hey, 
we might be able to be able to bring some people on. Maybe they're really fresh. Like, do you really need two years to be a CRC? Like in times like this, I think about coming from academic medicine and I had a couple of managers and I've talked to other institutions who have done a similar, a similar method where they're like, we're an academic institution. We constantly have a revolving door of undergraduates wanting research experience, people who want to go to med school, people who are here because of a different situation where they know they're only going to be here for maybe two or three years. So they would like train them on the job, regulatory, get them up and going, entry CRC, data entry, those types of things, knowing that it was kind of a short revolving door, but would get some really great work out of it. So, you know, having some of these internal processes where we can say, hey, maybe it's not the traditional you have a biology degree, you have two years experience, you come from a health system, maybe you're a phlebotomist already, something like that. How do you see maybe some non-traditional training, either from sponsors or CROs or from systems, academic systems, health systems, maybe train out the next generation so that as we're getting through the short-term issue, where hopefully some temporary staffing or maybe some funding boost for studies how do we at the same time say we're going to feed in the next generation pipeline? How do you see sites addressing that? Yeah, so sites have done several things in this area. Some sites have started these types of mentoring programs, onboarding programs, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it would shorten the time from when they are hired to when they're fully trained. I mean, six to 12 months is to get up to the speed of the previous coordinator needs to be shortened. So they have reached out to some universities and even if they're a university, hey, come shadow us for a little bit. We don't have to hire you, but just come shadow us for a week or two or three or so. See if you like it, because that's one thing. And this job's not for everybody to be a research coordinator. People just do this and we've had people that got it and a week later said, this isn't for me at all. You know, I thought I was going in to see patients, not do 90 hours a week of paperwork. So it's not for everybody. So it gives them a realistic job preview. And then the site gets the cherry pick. Hey, these did good. These didn't. And, and we're starting to see some classes of individuals that have gone up. They've also looked at non-traditional things. So we had one site, you know, brilliant idea was during the COVID pandemic, a lot of hotel staff, concierge staff were laid off. They weren't needed. They hired on the hotel concierge staff. Why? They didn't have clinical trial experience, but you know what they did have? They had experience in customer relations and solving problems for people. You know, hey, how can we get you a ride from here to here and then here to here? You know, those types of troubleshooting skills and person relation skills were killer. And they said they're killing it with recruitment of patients and retention of patients and getting creative on how to keep patients retained in protocols. So that, that can-do attitude and that type of skill set and that focus has been killer in that, in these non-traditional roles. The overall arching thing is we're starting to see on the whole two-year experience thing, uh, a lot of universities are starting these bachelor programs or some other certificate program in clinical research that they have developed training courses to onboard so that you don't need the two years work experience. I have a degree and 160 hours of volunteer experience or other types of internships and whatnot. So, hey, we'll count that and we will get you up to speed to be a monitor. ACRP is working on a lot of these programs too to try to alleviate this whole myth of you have to have two years experience before you can be a monitor. 
So hopefully, as one big pharma does, others tend to do, and with the success of this program, that's they can look for alternative paths to become a monitor rather than robbing them from the other CROs or nicking away the, the coordinators to go up to that monitor position. It, it kind of opens up the applicant pool, so to speak. I love the story you gave about the hotel concierge and customer service, because I think it also highlights the expansion of what clinical research jobs really entail. In a previous life, I worked at the IRB and our running joke is nobody goes to college to work at the IRB. Like nobody, you know, you just don't. You're starting to see degrees in regulatory and all that kind of stuff now, but nobody goes in as an undergrad and says, oh my goodness, regulatory ethics, that's my jam. They kind of fall into it. And when they do, a lot of them love it and it's great. And that's why we have a booming industry of these people who do it. But I'm excited that with a lot of the education and information that's come out with the COVID pandemic trial, the vaccine trials, and those types of things that we're showing that clinical research isn't just a doctor or a nurse or a pharmacist or a lab tech. This includes people who I have an interest in finance. I have an interest in contract negotiation. And there's a place for me in clinical research. I'm interested in English and literature. I can go and write consent forms or work as a translator, all of these different options. And so I, I really hope to see that we can see an expansion also of clinical research recruitment into the workforce on all these non-traditional pathways to be able to tell people, hey, no matter what you're interested in, there's a pathway in research for you. You can help better public health. You can help better medicine and all of those different things. And even start, I want to see it start getting down into the, the high schools and middle schools. That's when we need to get to these people to say, hey, you want to work in research. Like that's that's going to be a really great pathway for you. And this is all the different ways that you can do it. So I really hope that we're going to be able to see a drive towards those different things, which can then, of course, help with this move to more hybrid work. We had the Advara report come out last year on workforce that did talk about the vast majority are going hybrid, if not completely remote. That was still kind of a niche area. But a lot of institutions, whether they're sites or sponsors or CROs, are looking to be more hybrid. Really interesting to see how hopefully some of the things that we were driven towards in 2020 due to the need to actually lock down, we're seeing pains from that now in 2021, and I would say even more so in 2022, with the great resignation, the reshuffle, the everybody is trying to, to redefine their workforce. I'm encouraged for 2023 and beyond that all of this communication with the sites, work that SCRS and ACRP and others that you mentioned are doing to bring these groups together to encourage communication transparency can really help solve this issue. But would love to give it back over to you, David. Yeah, yeah. I too am very excited about this. What an interesting time that we had with COVID. I mean, the entire planet was looking to the clinical research industry. What are they doing on this? And we had our 15 minutes. We had our airtime on this. So now is the time to get people excited about it. In this area, what I understand about, especially most resonating in this younger generation or the next generation of workforce, is they really want to work for something they believe in. And they will sacrifice. They don't have to be paid as much if they believe in the leadership of the organization and believe in the mission. They're very mission-driven, more so than perhaps my generation of the Gen Xs and the baby boomers. What greater mission. You'd be hard-pressed to find a greater mission. A health and well-being, helping people live longer, happier, healthier lives is among the top missions out there. So we can tap into that with the culture 
of this next generation and say, hey, do you want people to live happier, healthier, longer lives, higher quality of life throughout their times? This is the industry that does that. Well said, David. Well, thank you so much for joining today's episode of Advara in Conversations With. It was really great to sit down with you virtually and talk to some of these issues that are going on, some short-term solutions, some longer-term planning, and really giving such a positive outlook to what seems to be a desperate problem into really what I think is going to just continue to enhance the clinical research enterprise and really make us bigger, better, stronger, so that, as you mentioned, we can have a healthier and happier public health population. So thank you so much. Appreciate talking with you, hearing about the work at SCRS, and thanks for joining me today. Yeah, Wendy, thank you so much. Thanks to Advara for having me. I really appreciate it. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please keep a lookout on Advara's social channels and on advara.com for our next episode.